Father God, lead us this morning. Lord, direct us, guide us by your spirit. I pray, Father, that, Lord, together here today we come as one. Lord, joined together by your love. Lord, knitted by your love. Strengthened, Lord God, by your love towards us, by your grace, by your mercies. Father, by all that is good and great in you, Lord, we come before you today. For without you, Lord, we are absolutely helpless. And Lord God, we couldn't accomplish anything. So we seek you this morning, Father, to do all that we would do. And I pray for everybody in this room, Father. You know them individually. You know who they are. You know why they're here. May you move in them, Lord God, in tremendous ways. Build them up and strengthen them, Lord, for every good work. Be with our pastor. Be with Sharon, his wife. Be with those, Lord, who are on their way home this day. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity you've given to us these past two weeks. May you be glorified in everything that was done. May you bless the people of Chile and Peru and Colombia. Bless them richly, Lord, and for their efforts, Father. I pray for every endeavor. I pray for every word spoken, every opportunity seized by them, Lord. That you bless it. Expand the ministries in those countries. What an awesome, awesome time you have given to us with them. Bless those saints, Father, for they truly are your saints. And I thank you, and I ask these things in Jesus' most holy name. And together we said, Amen. Well, thank you so much for your warm uh, greeting this morning. I bring greetings to you from Chile, Peru, and Colombia, and uh, it was just about two weeks ago, a little less, but not much less, that we entered into Chile. We went from Chile to Peru to Colombia, and then and then back. I came back two days early. Raul, Sharon, Hector, and uh, Joaquin will be back uh, tonight. They went on to El Secreto for a very special time, I believe, for Raul and Sharon to be there, and it's... Uh, Awesome thing that took place, I'm sure, and Pastor Raw will have much to say when he came back. Sharon did absolutely great. I know many of you were wondering how she would do and what would take. I think this was probably maybe one of her most rewarding trips. I don't know. You'll have to hear it from her, but uh, I could just see it in her, the excitement, just the uh, the joy, uh, just the un, unbridled joy that she had, as, especially as we entered into Columbia. I, mean, I just watched her, and it was like, you know, the, the smallest thing brought her joy, and I, I said, man, I, I love that. I love that because that kind of stuff doesn't bring me joy. Uh, <laughs> but it brought her joy, and that helped me have joy in it. And I said, well, I'll thank you, Lord, for letting me come with Sharon because um, I could have probably brought Raul down to my level and critis- <laughs> criticizing everything. But it, it was a blessed trip, and, and each church is unique, each area is unique. Uh, first in Chile, Ricky and Myra are uh, leaders there at the Bible Institute in Santiago. Greet you all and wanted to thank all of you 
uh, so much for your prayers and your concern for the work being done there in Chile. And it's a tremendous work. Now, my first encouragement to you, I'm talking to some Bible students here, and I don't know what God has in store for you. Maybe you don't even know, but I hope today maybe the message will encourage you to do something. You know, I mean, (laughs) I've been in Bible institutes for the last 10 days in a row. I've been speaking to students. I've been speaking to pastors. And much in this type of a setting where they were listening, you'll have to excuse me if I'll hesitate from time to time because I needed an interpreter. And uh, you got to choose your words carefully and then hesitate while they say it. And it kind of hinders you a little bit, but it's an awesome, awesome experience. I encourage you to, to, if you have the means, if you've prayed and the Lord opens the door, don't hesitate to go for any uh, opportunity, whether it's in Baja or uh, in South America or in China. uh, It does not matter. I think the blessings are there for you to have. And and um, and and I want to encourage you when you. Uh, are in these classes and you're and you're learning so much and especially in your devotional time. I hope you have devotional time because this is where most of what I'm going to talk about takes place. You know, most of what's done spiritually in your life isn't done so much in the classroom. It's done when you're alone with God. And if you don't spend that time alone with God, then you can become rather fleshly. <laughs> um, you, you need to spend time with the Father. And there, when you're with the Father, then it's just you and him. I like what uh, Leonard Ravenhill once said. He said, if you're at ever at crossroads in your life, if you're ever at a time where you don't know whether to, to, to stay where you are or to break loose, he says, go alone someplace with no one to speak to but the Lord. Nothing to eat but the bread of life. And wait upon him. Wait until you hear his voice. Wait till you understand the message. And he says, my friend, you will break out and you will break through. Whatever it is that binds you. Now, here in the United States, and I'm not going to uh, compare in any way, shape or form what we do here and with what they do. That's comparing apples to oranges. What they're doing in, in Chile, in Peru, in Colombia, is, is a great work, much like many great works that are taking place here. But, but they're done, I, I believe, in a much more difficult setting. Uh, in the United States, we have resources and we have things that are available to us that aren't, aren't available. They're just not. They don't have one big church that they can pull from. They pretty much, when the Lord speaks to their heart, they go out and they start a church. And they do it with one or two people, and and it begins that way. And it begins in a house, just like we've taught you to do. And I think most of the pastors that I spoke to in the last 10 days were pastors of churches of less than probably 30 people. But some people would look at that and think, Well, that's not a very profitable work. Why don't they all get together and have one big church? Because they have a vision. They have a tremendous vision. Their their vision in, in all three countries was to evangelize their country. I I think we have to understand. And and I want to to title the, the message this morning, the measure of a faithful church. 
we were teaching the letters to the churches in the book of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3. Seven letters written, Jesus, the author. And seven churches, seven Bible-believing churches, all having started out well. Six of the seven, a charge brought against them and an exhortation to, to repent and turn from their sin. To overcome, to be overcome. Seven church, six of the seven churches to overcome. But there was one church. And I saw this church over and over again when I was in these three countries. I see it here. And for those of you, especially you young guys, or maybe you older guys, but you're going to go out and you feel the calling to be a pastor. You maybe feel the calling to start a church. What an awesome calling. I think, I think the temptation too many times is to feel that calling and then look for a job at a bigger church. That, that, will, that will restrict the growth. But if God calls you to a work and, and you feel that it is of God, there are some very distinctive marks, some things that you can look for. Because to the church of Philadelphia... We see the measure given. It was the only church where there was no condemnation, no no accusation, no charge made against. They weren't told to repent and turn from their sin. They were told to stand fast in what they were doing. Because what they were doing was right. Now, the Church of Philadelphia was the youngest of the seven churches, having been founded, the, the last church of the seven to be founded. And they had a great purpose. They were an energetic church. They had a church with a purpose. Their purpose was to Hellenize all of uh, the region, to teach them the Greek culture, the Greek language, so that the Jews could understand and be a part of their culture there while remaining Christians. But there was more to do. And they understood that. I want you guys to grab hold of what... Jesus is, because Jesus is the author here. It's not John the Beloved. When you read the book of Revelation, there's so many reasons you can't understand parts of it and why so many guys try and interpret it. And there's so many interpretations in the book of Revelation is because uh, he is writing down what he sees. But now, these are letters in red. These are Jesus' words. It's, you can take this to the bank. You don't, need no, you don't need any allegory here. It's very clear. These are the words of Jesus. And he speaks to him. Now, if you would, uh, turn to the third chapter in the seventh verse. Now, I only want to expound on, on one verse, but I'm going to read the first couple to you. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, He who has the key of David. He who opens and no one shuts. And shuts and no one opens. Jesus is describing who he is. Now, it's it's unique. When you study these seven letters, he he describes himself in a very um, most unique way now. You see, in all the other churches, when he describes himself in that letter, he uses the description of John the Beloved in his vision of Jesus in the first chapter. It's secondhand. But now Jesus speaks to the church. And quite simply. 
chose himself to them. In these three ways. He says, I am holy. I think. He's saying, I'm God. I'm God. There is no no one over me. There isn't anybody that's going to speak to you at this point in time in your ministry. As you read this text, if you're open for the work of the Lord. You see, a lot of people, I believe, read these things, read these books. They watch other people do things for the Lord. They really get encouraged by it. They really want to do something, but they don't do anything. It's almost as though they don't believe who's speaking to them. They think it's Pastor Dale. Oh, he encouraged me this morning. Pastor Larry, Pastor Joe. No, these are words in red. This isn't even an apostle speaking. This is the one, he says, who is holy and true. And, and, and true means this is reality. This is real. This isn't your imagination. This isn't your opinion of what you think you can do. This has nothing to do with what other people are doing. This has everything to do, to do with my being before you. I am real. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So all that you hear from me cannot be contradicted. All that I do for you, whether you think it is good or bad, cannot be argued. Why? Because I am true, and all that I do is holy. You see, because in the consequence of you saying, here I am, Lord, and there is, for every action, there is a reaction. For everything you do, there will be something else in store for you. So if this this morning you decide, well, I heard from the Lord this morning, I read the text, and now I'm going to go out and I'm going to do what the Lord wants me to do. And all, you know what, breaks loose. Understand, He's holy and true. Focus on who has given you the direction. I think of how little would have been done in the Old Testament by... Gideon. I think of how little would have been done by David against Goliath. I think of how helpless uh, Moses would have been in the wilderness. Or Paul would have been against the Sanhedrin. Before um, his persecutors. Because it doesn't look right. Here's the encouragement to you. We have very little to do with with how God is going to use me. If we are servants of God. The church in Philadelphia. Is about to be used in a tremendous way. When Jesus describes himself, he sets the sage by saying, I am holy and I am true. And by the way, I have this key. It's a key of David. And he takes it out of Isaiah 22, 20, uh, 22 verses 17 through 22. And, and really what it illustrates, he, he attaches 
he applies this verse to himself, to Jesus. As the one who has the power and authority over every opportunity in your life. He says, when I open the door of opportunity, and an opportunity for what? Yeah, evangelism, serving the Lord. You've got to fall in love with this. The work of the Lord. Not the work of Dale. Not the work of Rawl. Not the work of Greg. Not the work of Chuck. I'll tell you the greatest pit you can fall into is striving to be somebody else. I used to read a lot of books about... And I would make the mistake of just attaching myself to one one particular author, one particular pastor, one particular person that I just admired. I admired him. And I think most young pastors do this. And man, he just spoke so perfectly, so clearly, and what he did, how he handled himself. And I thought, wow... Lord, I want to do just what he's doing. He's doing a godly work, and he's doing a great work, and he's, Lord, look, look at, it's almost as though I'm trying to tell God what he's already done. And now, Lord, I want to be just like him. Be careful. Be so very, very, very careful. Maybe God is going to make you like a Stephen. Maybe he's going to make you like a Bartholomew. Who's Bartholomew? Yeah, that's, that's the point. Only a few of the, the apostles that we know anything about, isn't there? Maybe he's going to make you like one of the other ones. Now let me tell you something. In, in, in South America, most of them are like that. But in heaven, what, what determines a faithful church? Really, what makes the angels in heaven rejoice? When they see the work being done here. Now, move on to the next verse. Verse 8. Jesus says, I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door. And no one can shut it. And now he's going to give you the measure of a faithful church. For you have, number one, a little strength. Number two, you have kept my word. And number three, have not denied my name. Three things that were going on in this church that made it the only church that no accusation was made against. Now, it seems quite simple. It seems quite simple to follow these steps, but I am here to tell you six of the seven churches failed. And I'll tell you what, in every city, six of the seven churches are failing. In Calvary Chapel, six of the seven churches are failing. You got to grab hold of this. Because this is God's way and these are God's directions and it's not a large church that determines whether you are faithful or not. It's not a wealthy church that determines whether you will be this church. 
It's not how many people are coming to your church. That, and you, you just wonder. Today, I believe the largest churches are the churches that are going to receive the greatest condemnation. I really do. Because in most cases today, we live in such a corrupt world that in most cases today, it's the enticement of the church that draws the people rather than these three things. What would attract you to a church? And what kind of a church are you going to start, young guys or older guys? I always say young guys, older guys, because, you know, when, when I read that, um, that, that, that Caleb, you know, started a church at 90. I don't think we're ever too old to do what God wants us to do. And no, I'm not 90. But, but it's not your age. It, it's not your flamboyant. It's not your charisma. It's not your, your eloquence of words or, or your ability to produce great worship. I didn't see much of that in South America, but what I saw in South America were many faithful churches. I thought, saw faithful men and women. And I saw these three elements. Now, I want you to notice in verse 8, the first thing is, Jesus says, I know what you're doing. We're so concerned with, with whether Rawl knows what we're doing. It, it kind of it, it kind of <laughs> bugs me when, when some people don't get noticed. And... <laughs> They do everything in their power to get noticed. I think this is a reassurance to those of you who are doing it right. Because, hey, you know what? A pat on the back feels good. A word of encouragement for a job well done, received, accepted. And I'm not discouraging any of that. What I am hoping to share with you this morning is that irregardless of whether you get a pat on the back from Pastor Rawl, an encouraging, an encouraging word from Dale, you know, that Pastor Larry might notice what you're doing. It doesn't matter in heaven. I've never once had God ask me how you're doing. And I hear his voice. I've never once had God ask me, hey, hey Dale, how's Bob doing today? <laughs> Lord, I only see with my eyes. And you know how many times I've been fooled, Lord? Not by Bob. But <laughs> Bob's a good guy. But, but we are so incapable of knowing what you're doing. But Jesus says, I know everything you're doing. I know not just what you're doing, more importantly, and we know this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, don't we? Go down to verse 15 through 17. You know this. I know your motive for what you're doing. I know why you're doing what you're doing. If you think it matters that you spent 24 hours, 48 hours, 72 hours straight without sleep, and everybody's watching, and they're doing this, and wow, I wish I could be him, Understand, it better be for the right reason. I had a guy, one day I'm in the hallway. I've been here a long time. This hasn't happened very often. 
Guy walks through the hallways. Pastor Dale here. Make sure everybody understands. Looking for Pastor Dale. Well, there he is right over there. The bald, slim guy. Good looking guy right over there. And he, he really literally does one of these. And here you go, Pastor. I just, I'm, I'm new in the neighborhood. I really like the way Pastor Rawl teaches. And I want to be a part of this church. Here you go. The check. I took it. Thank you. He goes, open it. I said, I really don't need to. He says, well, just so long as, you know, we understand that, I, you know, I, I gave it to you and I don't want any. It's rather large. Opened it up. $35,000. There are a lot of rich people in Diamond Bar. And I said, well, God bless you. I'll put it in the box. He goes, you might want to walk that one up to the head. So the next day I get a phone call. Pastors, there's some things I want to talk to you about, and this is so-and-so. Remember, we met in the hallway. I gave you the check. And he started telling me what we should do in the hallway to attract more people. And I stopped him, and I, and I just shared with him. I said, you know what? We're, we're, we're Christ-centered here. We're, we're Bible-driven, and we're spirit-filled. And we love Jesus, and we believe and teach that, that God is, where God guides, God provides. Thank you so much. And he says, well, you know, we better rethink that one. And I said, you know what? You can come pick your checkup because Pastor Rawl had told me. I had this feeling, and Pastor Rawl told me, you know, if he calls you again, tell him come pick up the check. And we gave him the check back. Why? Because his efforts were done to bring attention to himself. His, his motive stunk. His motive stunk. But be careful you don't fall into that trap. That what you do, you do for another reason. Whatever it is. Why do you pick up papers on the ground? Really, why, why is it important for you to, to, to manage these grounds? Why, why is it important when you drive on the property and you see somebody drop a, a jack-in-the-box bag in the driveway that you stop and pick it up? Why? Because nobody's watching you except God. And He knows your works. And when you drive right by it because you're too busy or because you don't want to... You think somehow, some way, your hand is going to fall off if you pick up that bag. It's like going into the toilet and you see dirty things on the ground. And I mean, I've seen some horrendous things on the ground. It just bugs me. At, you know, we've got so many Christian leaders in this church. And I know they're going to the same toilet I use. And we can't go over if the toilet's messed up. And you know what I mean by messed up? And can't wet a towel. I don't have gloves. Wet the stinking towel. And put the towel between you and your skin. Those aren't nuclear wet. That's not nuclear waste. It doesn't have metaphysical powers that are going to creep through the paper and get on your hands. There are many, many messages about Pastor Chuck just reaching down into the toilet to dislodge whatever was in there. Why? Because people need to use the toilet. Never said a word. The only reason we have these messages, I think just a small portion of, of what others have done for the right reason, because usually they're not seen at all. When we first moved to this property, I remember driving up on this property. We didn't have gardeners. Can you imagine a property this size not having gardeners? Larry, remember, first time, I, I, I met Larry in 1989, but 
the first time I saw him here was when we just started forming this church. I don't know. He's four square. I wonder why would he come here? But when I saw him, I knew he was Calvary Chapel. When I knew he was Calvary Chapel was when we had a work day here. And he brings his two little guys right behind him. And I'm handing out weed whackers. And he remembers that. You remember that? And we start beautifying the house of the Lord. I wish we were back there. Now we have a gardener that that does it. And all the blessings are wasted. There used to be blessings available there. But now they're not available. God's removed that opportunity. Someone else will come and cut the lawn now, thank you. Someone else will pick up the trash, thank you. You see the danger in having a lot? That's why when you see the trash, there's a blessing. When you see the toilet overflow, there's a blessing. When you see something on the ground, there's another blessing. And don't let anybody see you. Don't do it for any other reason than this is my father's house. And I want it to be the best house of the Lord anywhere. Blessings everywhere. But do you re- Now, why do I say that? Because here's what Jesus said. Verse 8. What's the next word? I know your works. Then what? Comma. What? See. Please underline it, circle it, highlight it. See. Because we do not see the open doors. He's bringing their attention to the open door. You know, Paul the Apostle, in his second missionary journey, wanted to go to Asia Minor. He wanted to start founding these churches. But the Spirit of God said, no, you can't go. Cannot go. No, no open door. Lord, you know what I want to do. You know it's good. And he could have pushed the door down. He would have done it the wrong way. You know, God will accomplish his works through you, but his way. Then he goes to Bithynia. Now I'll go, Lord, in, in that region. And the Lord said, no, I don't. The Holy Spirit once again said, no. And he was patient, but he could see opportunity. Real opportunity. Honest opportunity. Genuine opportunity. Not an opportunity that I derive from my imagination or from my wants. Not something I projected in my little mind because of what I saw other people do. But because I am sitting, behold, before the grace of, before the glory of the living God, and God is speaking to me in my quiet place, and God is saying, this is what I want you to do. This is where I want you to go. And a man from Macedonia speaks to Paul. Go to Europe. The door is open. And by the way, that door is going to take you everywhere you want to go. Everywhere your heart desires. More than you could ever hope or imagine. That's not the door I wanted open. No, go. Go. You go. 
Will it be hard? Absolutely. Difficult? No doubt about it. More trials and struggles and difficulties than you can imagine? Yeah. But Jesus is speaking. And what does he say? Verse 8. I have set before you an open door. And by the way, now no one can shut it. That's my door. I have the key of David. All the power and authority by his sovereignty, who is God and who is true. The door's open. Nobody can shut it. And then he says this. Now, I know you can go through it. And, I, and here's my encouragement for you today, the measure of a faithful church. I know you can do it. And, and, and you know why this church could do it? Do you know why this church could do it and the others couldn't do it? They had, number one, little strength. Little tiny strength. Does that mean they weren't strong physically? Absolutely not. That mean they weren't strong spiritually? Absolutely not. Maybe more like uh, in Zechariah we read. Thus says the, the Lord. Not by your might, nor by your strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Reliance. unequivocally, uh, undeniably. You're not relying on Pastor Rawl to set you up and to send you out. What I saw in Chile is is just amazing. These young guys, when I got to, by the time I got to Columbia, they were teaching me all about faithfulness. They really were. They, they, They were humbling me. I'd meet these young guys and they're coming and they just want to glean off you. They don't ask anything of you. They're not asking for help. They're trying to glean off of you what they can use in their ministry. And in their eyes, their ministry is the beginning of a great work for Jesus Christ. And they have little strength. So they'll do great works. They are reliant upon Jesus Christ, who is holy and true, who holds the keys of David. In other words, who cannot be stopped. Now, here's a powerful and strong church. Here's a powerful and strong church. It's not self-reliant. Not self-reliant. Not relying on how good of an orator I am. Not reliant upon... What gimmick I can come up next with. Not, not, not reliant upon who I can associate myself with. That's not going to make you a faithful person. And it's certainly not going to determine whether you're a faithful church. Jesus said, I can do it and I can do it alone and I can do it for you. And I've opened the door now. You must recognize the door is open and I'm doing it because you are a people of little strength. You're relying on me now. The other churches didn't. They all had a charge made against them because they were trying to do it their own way. They had fallen into a trap. They all fallen into a trap. Fallen to their flesh. Some way, shape, or form. So easy to do. But Jesus says, first of all. And then he says this. He said, the, the, the other two things and i'm going to put them together because we're just about out of time here but 
He says, you are of a little, you have a little strength. And he says, you have kept my word. You've kept my word. How important. Now here, if you go out or whatever work you do, whatever ministry you are involved in. Now I believe that there are people of the church of Philadelphia that go to the church of Ephesus in some ways. Because in every church, don't look around to determine whether we are this church or not. I think the best thing to do is to determine whether you are or not. Whether you are or not. Because whether Pastor Rawl is or not doesn't mean anything in your personal life. Just because you come to Calvary Chapel, Golden Springs, doesn't mean you're part of that blessing. You must be of little strength. You must keep the word. As a whole, we can do this. What does it mean to keep the word? It means to do it. To not turn away from it. To not alter it. To not change it. Those of you who went to the pastor's conference this past year, I heard a beautiful message by Sandy Adams. He said this, and it never, I'll never forget it. He said, remember, this word must be kept, it must be cherished, it must be loved, it must be obeyed, and then it must be returned back to God. Why? Because it's God's word. You see, you hold on to it too long without getting into this. You think you got it down pat? Be careful when you think you got the word down pat. Then there won't be a necessity for you to continue to read through it. Like the little boy I met in the hallway down here one day. He's sitting outside. I know his mommy and daddy, godly family. And he's learning. The, he's, he's in the school of hard knocks right now. Probably be one of Sean's kids one day. Because God molds them and shapes them in the children's classroom sometimes. He's sitting outside and he's smiling. Pastor Dale, how you doing? And I'm wondering, why are you outside the classroom? Teacher was with him. He said, well, the teacher told me he didn't want to listen. He was playing. And I said, why were you playing when they were teaching the Bible? He says, well, they're teaching the story of Jonah and the whale. I said, that's a good story. He goes, yeah, but I already heard it. I already heard it. And I know in his little uh, undeveloped mind, I think just the same way he does. I got it down pat. I know that whole story. And sometimes we handle God's word that way. You're not keeping the word. If you don't return back to it continually, methodically, every day, it's the bread, it's the nourishment. Can't get far in an empty tank, can you? It also means you can't change it because it's God's word. You, you get out of here and you go to another church. And, and I tell you, one of the typical things you see in most churches these days. Typically. 
And I love it because when I'm ever talking to somebody and they tell me they go to this particular church and I know that church is off the wall and they say, no, we're a Bible believing, Bible teaching church. We do it just like Pastor Raw. No, you don't. Why? Because you're condoning homosexuality. We love everybody. So do we. The Bible is not sure about it. The Bible's not sure. By the way, you, you understand where I'm going to because Brian McLaren said to, to his church that we're going to have a five-year moratorium on the issue of whether homosexuality is absolutely sinful because he feels the issue was never settled in the Bible. So they think they need to have dialogue for five years. Moratorium, everybody's invited, and we will not condemn homosexuality. Hey, I love the sinner. I really do. And if somebody didn't love me when I walked through the doors, I'd be lost. And we need to love every single person. I don't care what their lifestyle is. You love them, open arm, love them. You hug them, you bring them, because you'll never win over an enemy. And we're told to love those who even hate us. And you got no. And by the way, keeping the word doesn't mean you use the word for what it wasn't intended to be used for. You know, all scriptures are are very compatible to one another. All, all scriptures work together. There are no contradictions of these scriptures, but, but you wouldn't know it, would you? That's why when somebody wants to argue with me, it's a short argument. If they're using the Bible to argue with me, they don't understand the Bible. The Bible was given to us as His Word not my word. And some people think they have the power and authority to change his word. And they change the word. So they're not arguing with me using God's word. They're arguing with me using their word. No argument. I'll never convince you until you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, you see, because if you don't believe, you can't understand. And lastly, they have not denied the name of Christ. There's a number of ways you can deny Christ, isn't there? You can deny him in word. You can start talking stupidly. <laughs> you know, uh, Peter did that, didn't he? Yeah, Peter did that. Peter was so proud and filled with his pride that I can't, I, I, I can't imagine being there on the day that Jesus said, I'm going to go into Jerusalem, there I'm going to be killed, and all of you are going to run and hide. And Peter said, all may be stumbled, Lord, but not I. Not I. Even if I die, I will not be made to stumble. In that statement, he's denying Christ. He is assuming that he knows better than Christ. Because what did Christ say? All of you are going to stumble. It's okay. We don't always like what God's word says. Everybody here has a problem. Everybody in this room. All of us. 
We all have a problem. Whether we have victory or we have failure will be determined by this. Don't deny Christ. Trust His Word. If the Word of God says that when you are weak, He is strong, then trust you don't have to do much when you become weak. If the Word of God says that I will be with you always, even to the end of time, and the end of time comes, don't worry, be confident that He will be there with you. Because when you start doing things, saying things, you can deny Christ. I'm not talking about losing your salvation here, by the way, people. I'm talking about living a more fulfilled and joyous Christian life. This is the way. This is the faithful church. While we can deny him in our words, then we can deny him in our deeds. Peter denied him in his word when he said, no, Lord, not, not, not me, when Jesus said all will. But because he denied the word of the Lord, now he will deny him in his deeds. You deny God's word. You don't think that applies to me. The Bible says that in this world, there is a ruler. We battle not against flesh and blood, but against what? Principalities and powers of darkness. You have, you're no match. I guarantee you, you are no match. So you hear it, right? I mean, Satan is a hundred times more strong than you. You challenge Satan. Why, why do you think the Bible says when Jesus was upon that pinnacle before his ministry and he was being tempted by the devil? And the devil said, jump. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Be careful that you never, ever, by your deeds, put yourself in a position that's going to take a miracle when you know it to rescue you from. Do you understand that? If you struggle with the flesh, the lust of the flesh, and you think somehow, some way, I'm strong enough to withstand this movie, you're tempting God. You think God's just going to sit there and blind you? That you don't have to see that and do stupid things? No, that's tempting God. You can tempt God. Peter, in response, by deed, before a a fire, that fire made by the enemy, a little girl, little girl, Peter, the most brash, probably the the one to draw the the sword first, ready to fight, uh, the raw reefs of the time. Little girl comes up to him and says, um, aren't you with that guy from Galilee who were leading to the cross? How quickly we lose our strength when we don't keep the word of God and begin to deny him in word and now in deed. His answer, don't know him. 
That's one of the most tragic moments in the Bible for me. One of the most disheartening moments in the Bible. Because this wasn't just an ordinary pastor. That was Peter. Peter, James, and John. One of the elect three. Who Jesus used tremendously. Who would be handed the keys to the church. He was our first pope, my gosh. (laughs) Kidding. But you ask a child in any classroom that comes to church anyway, it's one of the first names that will come out of their mouth. Peter. They all know Peter. And God made his point through Peter. People understand we are no Peter's. We're just ordinary people. And if this kind of pressure came upon Peter and kind of temptation and this kind of failure can happen to us. Be on guard. Be faithful. The message this morning is the measure of a faithful church. But I want to share with you, it begins with you, a faithful person who has little strength, who keeps the word. And does not deny Jesus, his name, very precious name that we wear. At the end of this text, the reward is three names. Reward, yeah, we got a reward. We'll see the name of God upon you. See the name of the holy city, Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem, heaven put on us. And Jesus says, and. I got a brand new name. Nobody knows about it yet. You're going to get that one too. When the work is done. I'm dying to see that one. Let's pray. Father God, I just pray now that you bless us and lead us through this day. That, Father, we recognize the measure. the But what makes a church or a person, Lord God, faithful. I pray we be faithful this morning, Lord, and part of a faithful church. I thank you for these fine people, Lord, and I pray you bless them richly this day. We give you the glory, the honor, the praise. Do great works among them, Lord. May they not hold back. May they know the door is open. May they see it. And I thank you in Jesus' most holy name. And together we said, Amen. Amen. God bless you.